Yeah, so I started doing drama at the age of eight and then I was in a drama school for nearly 11 years and I was in a film and then I was also doing like a musical in college. But I took a break for eight years to finish my studies and missed it the whole time. And then when I finished, I started doing stand-up comedy and then the pandemic happened. But I guess the comedy has just been so positive it's like it's really uh, I've been very fortunate with it and that's yeah that's my background so I mean in a, in a way the the, the pandemic and, and comedy in and of itself is convenient <laughs> right I was only doing comedy for nearly a year and then the world shut down but again I had an eight-year break and I was like you know what? I can I can wait I can wait it's okay and I, I think I mentioned to you yeah I mentioned you before that my day job is accounting and then at night I was a comedian it was like a superpower or something Super <laughs> I love it. a little bit like hey she has social skills <laughs> a little bit Welcome back to this week's episode of Irish Theatre at Play with me, your host, Dr. Carol Quigley. And as per usual, I have a stunning guest on with me this week, and I'm super excited and delighted to introduce you guys to the delightful, wonderful, amazing, spectacular, super-powered woman, as we've just discovered, um, that is Ailish McCarthy. So Ailish, hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for such a glowing introduction. Thanks for having me. Always, <laughs> always. I mean, yeah. What other way is there to describe a, a, an accounting comedic? You know what I mean? It's 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 the best way to go. So, Ayla, she told us a bit there, a little bit there at the start, but give us give us the details. Who are you? Where did you come from? How did you end up where you are? How do you go from from accountancy to stand up comedy? Yeah. Um... I started doing drama at the age of eight um, because my friends on the road were doing it and I wanted to go along, but um, I stayed at it. I started to teach dance and drama. The agency was also uh, uh, like uh, a school or excuse me, the drama school was also an agency. So agents would come along and audition for ads and stuff. And when I turned, when I was 13, Louise Kiley, who was the casting agent for Normal People, she showed up and she was casting a movie called 32A. And they were looking for four young girls and it was an Irish feature film uh, that was based in the 70s. And I went along, I threw my hat in the ring and I kept being, you know, brought forward to the next stage. And then I was, was told that I got the role and that I'd be filming for five weeks of the summer during the summer holidays when I was in school. And uh, it was crazy because the um, the production had fallen through a couple of times. And I guess I was very fortunate that I got in when it actually took off. And it was written and directed by Marion Quinn, Aidan Quinn, the actor's sister. He, Aidan Quinn played my dad. Um, Marion's two sons were my brothers. It was very much a family uh, ordeal. 
And it was an experience I can't compare to anything. It was crazy. So it was like five weeks of filming, uh, like 11 hour days, because you couldn't do 12 hour days at that age. And um, it was, you know, it was, you know, part of my childhood growing up and, and watching, like, it's also, what, I'm 28 now. And I, I did that filming when I was like 13, 14. And I still talk about it. It's still relevant. It's the very few coming of age films from a woman's point of view. Usually a lot of the time that's from a guy's point of view. It's also directed by a female, like a, a, by Marion, by a woman. So a female director and pioneering that. And they're talking about like Wonder Woman. Oh my God, it was directed by a woman. Meanwhile, back in 2016, Marion Quinn directed this movie. Um, and it is crazy. It keeps following me around and it's like when I meet people it's only a period of time before they go are you are you this person because you look very alike or yeah. I guess I also have these ignorant moments where I meet someone and they go have I met you before and I go oh god and I'm trying to be all Irish and polite and go yeah 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 I remember you <laughs> no they've seen the film and that's where they remember me from it is mad like and then like promoting the film was incredible like I got to uh, go to the Berlin Film Festival it was in Sundance Film Festival it went around America excuse me North America South America Spain I got to go to Edinburgh with it all around Ireland with it it like it it was an incredible experience and I guess I felt okay this is what I want to do and Mm. and, um I want to do I want to act but very quickly I guess I started to recognize that there's a lot of there's a lot more roles for men in the industry than there are for women and women are quite limited to being either the love interest of the mother so it's too young to be someone's mother and well um, are where are you in Hollywood I'm not sure no (laughs) I was a 17 year old girl about to sit her Irish examinations for college and I thought I'm definitely too young looking (laughs) to be somebody's uh mother um, but I, I, the last, um, professional production I did before I went to college was in the Abbey and I did a show with the National Association of Youth Drama. And that was like five weeks where the cast lived in Marino College for five weeks. And then we had a film like RTE came to cover it and press and all that. Mm. And when uh, was it Alan Rickman also came to see the matinee which was incredible we got to shake his hand it was very cool um but by the end of the run I decided okay I need to um pursue my studies take a break from acting and it was completely painful because especially with somebody who had done drama from the age of eight up to the age of 18 it was kind of more or less all you knew mm. and um to turn your back on that was uh, I, I would not recommend because I, I it was it was hell like I really wanted to I guess study to have a backup plan so if you know if maybe acting didn't work out I had something to fall back on or maybe I would have something that if the audition was over in Manchester I had a job that I was able to pay for flights go over at short notice and do it mm. uh, so that was always the objective it just took a little bit longer than I had hoped because I'm a bit lazy uh, <laughs> I think that's I think a very that... uncharitable way of describing yourself you have about 27 nah. degrees don't you <laughs> well, I, I went back I, I was trying for a while and then I actually gave it a proper stab at 22 and I went back mm. in my study business 
and uh, graduated and then I did a master's and then when I finished my master's excuse me actually when I finished my degree I said I need to get back performing Mm. I'm like I actually just can't stay away and I had loads of Mm. friends similarly to yourself who were very much involved in it I was envious I was incredibly jealous Mm. Uh, but I've never been more supportive of the arts like I would see far more shows because I just couldn't stay away yeah um and then as we established earlier my day job was accounting so accountants always say no and Peter always says yes so it was literally Mm. polar opposites (laughs) theater doesn't we don't we don't concern ourselves with things like budgets they're they're for other people to to worry about we just have the, the you know I love like if you're working on a show and you meet particularly the set designer and they'll come yeah. in and they'll have designed a set only fit for the West End. And you're like, great, but we've like a couple of hundred quid to put this together. As a budget, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, but um, I guess I, got, I started to see other sides of theatre. So like, as I said, I was in a drama school, like acting was all that I was aware of, but I got to see the production side of things. I got to help out friends who wanted to perform and I knew I didn't have, I couldn't study and give the commitment to perform so I would have that backstage or like I produced a couple of shows in Dublin Fringe Festival and um, got like mentoring from some of the people in the industry uh, worked in the Project Arts Centre for years doing their accounts loved that um, but yeah when I finished my degree that was kind of my milestone I was just like this is great it's finished now uh, so I studied business but I need to get back performing in front of people I need to get back again and um so in during that time during those eight years my confidence was shot so I decided uh, to do a part-time course in the Gaiety School of Acting and it was stand-up comedy and I go and well that's so, a very sorry, I, I think that that's yeah. an important point just to just to note there for a sec because I think that's something that a lot of people go through you talk about your confidence being shot it's certainly something mm. I've experienced myself um as a performer particularly when you haven't performed for years and why do you think that happened or how did you kind of overcome it or how did it affect you or you know because I think a lot of people um, and we love talking about successes and it's brilliant to talk about successes but also particularly for anybody who might be thinking about going into this industry how Mm. it's so normal to to have your to have your confidence gone and and how did you deal with it or or how did it affect you um like I remember years ago seeing a sign in a church and it was like it was raining so I just ran in to get some shelter and it said you learn to swim by swimming you learn to run by running you learn to pray by praying and it was effectively your confidence is brought through repetitive uh through the motions of doing something over and over again Mm -hmm. so you don't learn to swim by reading a book is effectively what I was telling you so Mm -hmm. in terms of I I was so out of practice with being in front of people and an audience that I felt that the ground was going to crumble beneath me if I stood out on stage again yeah um after taking a break of eight years and I'm sure loads of people kind of that will resonate with a lot of people so and I guess in order to tackle that you just have to do by doing Mm. and I to get around that to kind of softly bring myself in I registered for the course in the Gaiety School of Acting to do the comedy course a very supportive environment, a very small class. And, you know, what's wrong with setting aside two hours a week to make other people laugh and their objective mm. is to make you laugh. So I thought, love, love all this. I love mm. it. And um, yeah, so I went along and I made like lifelong friends there as well. I'm still in touch with some of them. And it was a 10 week course and loved every second of it. Remembered 
some of the games, like the improv games from drama school or from, uh, <laughs> you know. The definitive <laughs> rules of Zip Zack Boing need to be written there down you somewhere. There you go. Because yeah. nobody has the same rules anywhere. But can you can you actually say you've ever been to a drama workshop if you haven't played Zip Zack Boing? Do you know what I mean? No. No, you can't. <laughs> as well as like, <laughs> if you don't have a calculator, you're not an accountant. Like it's yeah. the exact same thing. It's the exact same tools. Um but it was incredible. It was this amazing bridge between taking a break from comedy and then, uh, excuse me, taking a break from performing and then re-entering the mm. world performing. So the night of my graduation UCD from my four-year degree was also the night of my uh, showcase from stand-up oh, comedy. Okay. So I, I rocked up after, completely drunk, rocked up afterwards <laughs> at the showcase, last person on, and did my five minutes and that was it that was mm. like you're back you're doing you're performing again and you're in front of people again and from that point on I started to I guess do well I did a bit of research on social media so those who are thinking of going into comedy the best place the first place to go is social media because it's kind of like a LinkedIn profile mm. as you ask for um for a spot they can look at your videos, they can look at your photos, they can see what you what you have. And they go, mm, that is funny. And, you know, what is funny? How long is pizza string? But they can judge it and they can say whether or not they have a spot for yeah. you. So it's the best uh, way to do it. And, and, and what I, made you, sorry, what made you think, so so like I've acted for years, I've done a huge amount of acting, I've done loads of different stuff in theatre and I absolutely love that. Mm. But the, this, and stand me in front of a lecture hall, stand me up on a stage, doesn't matter I'm happy out I'm good to go the thoughts of me trying deliberately to make people laugh make me want to projectile vomit I don't consider myself a particularly funny person I don't you know I wouldn't know how like I'd be telling you a knock knock joke like what made you go do you know what I'm gonna go from acting to comedy um now this mightn't this answer might not go down well but I'll, I'll be I'll be honest so Ooh, I we love a bit of honesty. <laughs> my experience from freelance theatre is mm. that you will have people who are so excited with the project at the beginning of the mm. of it, going, "Yes, we're going to tackle, conquer the world," and because it's a profit share freelance basis, the likelihood of people seeing it through, for me in my experience, has been quite low. Okay. So. You have actors who would say, yeah, I'd love to do this show. And then they have other commitments that they will get paid. And I understand cash is king. You got to leave for the show that um, will pay you. But in my experience, that was happening when I was, you know, putting, breaking my back, showing up to rehearsals. And then probably within three weeks before the opening of the show, somebody would back out, whether it was on the production or whether it was on the cast for a paid role. And you were there with this, incomplete project that couldn't follow through so my view of comedy was that's not going to happen because I'm responsible to, to bring myself mm. to the venue to mm. show up and to you know do five ten minutes and prepare myself and go home so I guess it was kind of a it was a it was a bit more like protection for me yeah. to yeah. ensure that what I was putting into it was what I was getting out of it because I couldn't uh you know I couldn't uh, predict that people were going to get paid jobs and could no longer do freelance productions, which unfortunately is like, it's Ireland. We have so many freelance productions yeah. and very yeah. few people get paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and so that's the main reason yeah I suppose because it is it is a more individual thing and then uh, well along that kind of same line of thought then Mm. is it not terrifying going from ensemble driven work to me myself and I and I five ten minutes to you know for these people in front of me to like me or hate me and if it wasn't you know the way like if you're if you're having a bad show if your energy is down if you know your energy is down on stage but somebody else will see that and they'll lift your energy with you or you know it's an ensemble it it, it works like that whereas whereas comedy is is very much not that how how do you conquer that (laughs) it's like honestly it's a credit to the circle of friends that I have because Mm -hmm. when I told my friends hey I'm gonna start performing again they showed up in crowds so when I say crowds like 10 15 and the place only holds like 50 Mm. Uh, but they would all show up and show their support and they would laugh and they would say you know they'd be like keep going and you know you're doing great and you're obviously really enjoying it and that's a credit to the the company I keep so Mm. I think I've had a very exceptional start because I've had that support from Mm -hmm. the start so when I finished the course I my first gig was in front of 150 people in the sugar club and thankfully it went down well and I was like, okay, maybe I might try this again. I saw there was this Nulig uh, Naman, uh, so Women's Christmas in the Workman's. And I went along and this woman, Ruth Hunter, she has, I, I don't know if she was a runner up or if she won Show Me the Funny, but she was she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll book you for the gig. And my, my parents came with all their friends and that was support that I had in the room. And I felt, mm. you know, the butterflies are a little bit gone. These are people I know. These are people I'm familiar with. And that like, they wanted to support because they're like, Ailish took a break from performing. Ailish has finished her studies. This means a lot to her. We're going to go. So that is something I'm totally blessed with. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, there's been instances where I've walked out, done a set and, you know, people I I know in the room and people I don't know in the room and the room, the room is just dead silent. Mm. And just trying to have the nerve to continue and not babble and not panic and just slow down and then at the end going do you know what thank you for your time and leaving the stage and just leaving your feckin ego at the door and it's all a learning curve yeah Hmm. no and actually it's funny I know you're talking about 32a earlier I don't know if I ever told you this but um (laughs) that was filmed around where I live and obviously 32a is to do with the bus route yeah yeah Um, yeah and well actually it's now the h1 don't you know as of whatever or h2 h1 two and three now yeah there you go but i remember when you were filming that or that i didn't know you at the time but because it was it was filmed around where i live there was signs like um kind of like election poster style signs with arrows on them up on um electrical poles being like 32a this way and i remember at the time everyone got really confused they're like why are they directing the bus into um why are they directing the bus into a a housing estate and we just didn't understand why um why that was going on so yeah I don't know if I ever told you that but yeah so 32a was actually as well as the bus uh, being the bus route in Rohini it was also the bus so it's the symbol of the coming of age for women yes yeah. And if, if people want to watch that, where can they find that these days? You know, given that we're all so old and it was a very long time ago. 
oh my goodness I think it's it can be ordered online uh it was on Netflix for a while and then they took it down and then it was on Sky and they took it down as well it was all over it was like so I don't think it was on Amazon up and down yeah 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 I'm, I'm sure they're like the what is it you can go on to janiepictures.com and you can buy the DVD they're the production company behind it yeah we're all about self-promotion here but anyway sorry I digress we were, <laughs> we, we were talking comedy we were talking support and yes when um, you are when you're writing a stand-up do you and and you know you you were talking there about like if the, the crowd aren't particularly going along with you and you you got to not babble you got to got to stick to it like how scripted are you or how much do you read the room or is that a confidence thing or or how do you go about that yeah it's a little bit of both so the first thing was I think by gig 10 I had overcome the jitters and the lack of confidence and was able to read the room better um and when I got to that stage so um you know everyone's comedy is different some people like Jason Byrne can just say or like pull a face or say anything and the crowd is with them and loving them and the energy and then you have some deadpan comedians like Dimitri Martin who just like have one line after one line uh and it lands each time um when I'm writing things I like so I'm trying to find ideas all the time I found out very quickly that what I find funny isn't necessarily what the audience finds funny. Hmm. So we'll, we'll dig into that. So the reason I find it funny is because I know the history. Mm-hmm. I know I used to date a guy and one day I brought a cat home and he was furious. And I know why that's funny because I know that he wouldn't stand for me bringing a cat home and the fact yeah. that I wanted an animal in the house. But Joe Bloggs coming along does not know my history, does not know that that person's history. So very quickly, I guess I learned like what funny was. Funny Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily what I think is funny, but is Mm -hmm. more about what what other people find funny to be. So Mm -hmm. I had to just change that focus. So it's all well and good that I'm laughing on stage at my own jokes, but like it's not (laughs) in in a quiet room. So yeah. I have to kind of do my research and say, well, what are people talking about? Um, so the first thing, first and foremost, is I'm a female comic. I can't hide that. Mm-hmm. I stand on the stage. Everybody sees a female. So they're automatically going to think that I'm talking about sex toys or ex-boyfriends or menstruation, all that good stuff. So they automatically have that decided in their head. That's what I'm going to talk about. So I've just I and some comedians do that really well. but I decided to work against that and just talk about more observational things that men and women both find funny so that I don't cut off a bit of the room. So yeah, yeah first do you know so that it just it irritates me so much where we think firstly that women are only interested in women's issues. Don't get me wrong, I'm bloody interested in a, in a lot of a lot of women's issues, but it really annoys me that we kind of we have that assumption. And firstly, that you'll only be interested in things that specifically pertain to to women. Um, and not only that, but actually that that's a minority issue. And you're going, mm, if you want to talk about menstruation or, you know, the female experience in, in that kind of a way, it's not a minority issue. You know, it, it affects yeah. 1% of the population. Um, exactly. But yeah, that 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 kind of thought that really, really irks me. And yeah but anyway sorry I, I cut across on me out feminist no you didn't go on go on with you're right <laughs> uh people can cover that but they just have to be clever about it they just yeah. have to have a reason behind it and a bit of substance mm-hmm. behind the joke 
But I guess I wanted to talk about like the themes I talk about is being Irish, traveling and dating. That was the three things. Now, I remember that I showed up at a gig and the the MC, so the main comic of the night, the promoter was asking the room, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And we were in a room full of internationals. We didn't have an Irish person. I was the only Irish person, me and the MC. And I went, sugar, that's five minutes of my set gone. Mm. So I always bring my book with me and then I just realign where I'm going to go. So yeah, I do kind of focus heavily on the text, but there is that flexibility that if I know I'm listening to the crowd, I know that there isn't going to be an Irish person. And if I talk about revenue, uh, they're not going to get it most likely. So I can talk about travel and I can uh, talk about dating. And, you know, those are kind of topics that are broad enough that I can perform in front of audiences. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, you know, I was also opening up to if there was people who would have a question or talk back um, to shut them down. That was something I'm still getting to grips with. Mm. Um, so it's kind of, I was always told, um, don't open yourself up to audience participation unless you have full control, because then it just loses your credibility on stage. So yeah. I've had to control that. But it, and it was again, as a woman, you're going to, unfortunately, in the world that we live in, you are much more likely to have sexist, you know, comments made towards you or that kind of ridiculous misogynistic nonsense anyway. So, yeah, that, that. I yeah, like I don't know if it's down to female comics choosing to write content about rude jokes to come across as shocking. Or I don't know if it's like, you know, uh, the, going to a comedy, you're going to have a drink with your friend. You're going to like maybe the comic who came on before you really thrives on audience participation. And then you're on after them. And then the person thinks, well, the person on you before was free reign. So I'm going to engage with you. Mm-hmm. So you can't predict these things. So there's like some exercise I needed to do or even watch and learn how to shut people down and just continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's specific to my comedy in that I, I do write it down. I do observational comedy. And although I'm a female comic, I don't touch on female issues mm-hmm. um, because I'm just not that quick. Uh, <laughs> it's knowing the lane that I'm in, but it's like, uh, people say that um, there aren't enough female comedians. That's not true. I think there's an absolute plethora of female comedians, especially in Ireland and in the UK. But the lineup will have will be dominated by the lads. We'll have token woman. either one or two token women, or we'll have one comedian of color, or one transgender comedian, or LGBTQ comedian. Um, I hope that we get to see more representation because the amount of times I see a lineup of all white male and I go, well, this is versatile. I hope that yeah, I mean, people talk about are... minority. They are they are in the minority of the world. If you if you look at everybody right? else, so come on. But, you know, they are also there because they work hard and they're good mm-hmm. at what they do. I just hope that the opportunity is extended to. Yeah all these other comedians who are either female lgbtq and uh comedians of color who are as hungry and as talented and get get the same stage uh, yeah, because because only course. then you're you're actually going to have a really wide range of experiences and 
even observations to make based on who you are and, and how you're living your life and all the rest of it. So so actually, if anything, the the entire content is only going to get better when you open it up to totally. more experiences, you know? Yeah, um, like comedians are very social people. They're very socially mm-hmm. tuned in because they do talk about, you know, the climate and the and new, current news and they make a joke of it or they make an observation out of it. Now, by all means, because I'm not a person of color and I'm not part of the LGBT community, I don't feel I have a voice to get involved in that dialect. So that's something that, you know, I need to say in my lane. But if you had an LGBTQ comic, they would be able to say firsthand, this is why it's funny or this is what I'm up against or um, another comedian of color going, this is another thing I'm up against as well. Like we had Deny is very funny. He is a black Swedish comedian and he comes on he goes I'm Swedish as you can see and it's just you know nobody else could (laughs) get away with that it is really really good and like uh, the last time I saw him perform stand-up was 2019 so it stuck Mm -hmm. with me you know everybody has their voice and I think the more voices we have it's going to be exciting it's going to be more of a melting pot it's going to make comedy um more exciting yeah yeah no that's great and Unfortunately, though, I suppose we we probably should touch on in, in some way kind of the what has kind of um, come out in, in Irish comedy and the Irish comedy scene in the last kind of year, year and a half, two years, maybe um, in terms yes. of, kind of treatment of women and that kind of thing. And I know that's something that you're very passionate about. So, um, yeah, the comedy scene had a second wave of Me Too last year. Mm-hmm. and as well as 2020 just being such a shit year it was just keep piling on it's grand (laughs) you know like it was like Netflix something happened different every month it was like a Netflix series it's like Black Mirror that's what Mm. it was I was like yeah what now um but it was uh ironically a great environment to listen to overdue issues such as like you know you had Black Lives Matter kicking off in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then we had, you know, our, our second wave of Me Too here. And what happened is incredible because female comedians, including myself, uh, like Eve Darcy, Ruth Hunter, um, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, the full names. I only know them by first name, but um, they just got like, so we all had a Zoom call and we said, we are so done with this, like, like we don't want this to happen again mm-hmm. we would like comedy to be safe for everybody and we feel we can make a change so what happened was the group consulted with legal they made up a code of conduct they uh and then what i like what happened i started digitally knocking on doors uh to promoters saying do you have a code of conduct and mm-hmm. they would say yes and i was like okay great does it have what we have kind of like discussed together as, as a like an informal group and come up with these resolutions to stop these types of behaviors and to promote safety within comedy and um they were like we like will definitely use it as a blueprint or some promoters were like we haven't been around as long to make up a code of conduct but w- if you have a blueprint give it to us and the reception was overwhelmingly positive 
male and female promoters were holding themselves accountable to attend training sessions by Good Night Out campaign. Um, what is it? The Dublin Rape Crisis Centre is going to be giving training to, uh, so the group is called Comedy Safety Standards and they have partnered up with the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre to give training to promoters in comedy to promote safer comedy and safer nightlife and to educate themselves and to see. So I also attended those training sessions, but to see male, female and gay comedians of colour, promoters of colour, all showing up to because I recognize faces would, would show up to get the training. That's an incredible result. Yeah. And I guess like hats off to the circus in Ireland for, you know, standing by this group of female comics who want to introduce a code of conduct and they go, yeah, you're dead right. It should be safer. And we're behind you. Hmm. So that's, I, that's amazing. So I, hopefully out of incredible. something you should never have had to do at least something positive is is coming out of it I think that's I like speaking for myself I Mm -hmm. felt that way I felt that number one the group was heard and number two the group has been supported Mm -hmm. um and not just like comedy in Ireland is not just Dublin it's like all over the country it was it was supported so that was really really good and um especially with such a long established uh and like to have the resource to have the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre to give free training to promoters. So we held a fundraiser so that the promoters who have have been out of work the last year and haven't done any comedy, so they don't have to pay for training to do it. Yeah, the fundraiser paid for the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre to facilitate. So everyone's happy, everyone's getting paid, everyone's getting trained for free. And it's like, I'm excited to come back whenever this whole thing is over <laughs> um, yeah. and to see like I, we were even talking about putting the code of conduct on the walls and stuff and loads of promoters like some like I think a person I'm not I, I didn't know their name but had commented on this forum saying well I don't like the idea of a code of conduct being on the wall and I was like number one who are you number two <laughs> why not you I don't like of the idea of sexism and misogyny and violence against women or discriminatory practices you know what I mean like I'm I'm not yeah. cool with those so like yeah funny enough the team but then the promoter saw these messages messaged me privately and said you have nothing to worry about that code mm-hmm. of conduct is going to be on the wall and it's going to be shared at every event and that is the solidarity that mm-hmm. I've seen and mm-hmm. it's been overwhelmingly positive yeah that that's wonderful and 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 yet hopefully things things are changing for the better i mean we've we've kind of danced around the pandemic word word a little bit here what has it been like (laughs) what has it been like being a comedian in in a pandemic i know you do a lot of online content i enjoy a lot of your online content i love your your videos how how do you put words on your videos where you're talking back to a song i don't know do you have a way of describing those I'll, uh, I just say I talk to music <laughs> and you don't really understand it until you see it. So that was a conscious decision that I made. So when I returned to, uh, to performing and started stand-up comedy in 2019, there was comedians, Carol, at the top of their game. And I could not compete at that. I, especially after only having 10 gigs under my belt. So I was like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. that can get me above the noise 
while I'm learning about stand-up comedy, while I'm learning how to write my jokes, while I'm learning about more about my voice and like all these things about um, what I find funny and the audience find funny. I didn't find that out right away. That took months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously reading books and listening to podcasts and stuff like that, uh, finding a little bit more about comedy. But um, I quickly forgot what I was saying. Um, <laughs> take that bit out. Sorry. You're, you're talking so I to started music. To do the videos. Yeah, I started yeah. talking to music so that I, I thought it was entertaining. Friends of mine would laugh. I, thank you. <laughs> I thought like even, was, I thought even when you, yeah. even when you know the song and you know what's go- like, you, uh, you've won, and I can't even think of what song it is. I think it was one of the earlier ones when you're talking about what a woman wants in a man, and it's just like because you know the lyrics of the song that are coming, and you're, it, it, you, you just I look mean, so yeah. frustrated. It's really funny. I did. Um, I was Whitney Houston's dating coach. Uh, that was yes. <laughs> that's the one I'm talking about. That was a hell. What song was it? Yeah. It was how will I know? And uh, I was just like telling her, you need to swipe. You get a match on Tinder. And she was like, but how will I know? And I was like, no, you get a notification on your phone. She's like, how will I know? And I was like, I'm trying to fucking just listen. (laughs) So, yeah, so I kind of gave myself rules when I was doing that. I was like, while I'm learning how to write comedy and trying to get up to speed with everybody else, I'll give myself a rule. I'll pick songs that everyone has to know. If you don't know the song, you're not in on the joke. If you don't know what's coming next, you're not in on on the giggle. Yeah. And see if you can provide it in another context. Like at one stage, I was Destiny Child accountant. Like that yes. was something else as well. And like people were, yeah. So I choose well-known songs on purpose. And then very much like, I think it took me a year before I um, ran out of steam and I, you know, didn't know what songs or all the songs I knew, not everyone knew. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'll start doing other things. Now, when, uh, during that stage, I was also doing a show with uh, another female comedian, Sinead Walsh, and we were doing Wing Woman, which is a show about two women who, so she's a lesbian comic and I'm a straight comic. We were both single. We were like, oh my God, who has it worse in the dating scene? I was like, I definitely do because I have no idea what a, what a lad needs or is looking for. And uh, she goes, well, I definitely do because you can't swing a cat in the, in the gay scene in Ireland. So we started to write a show about that, about the hidden figures of dating. Your wing woman, the woman who is like, you know, will will get, open the bottle of wine when you're having a shit night, but also will throw you a tampon if you need it or something like that. So again, promoting female comedy and female yeah. comics and promoting our own voices. And we had a UK tour. We were we were booked with Glasgow International Comedy Festival, Brighton Fringe Festival, one of the main venues of the Warren. And the underbelly, which is a massive deal in the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. Then, the, then a funny thing happened in 2021, or excuse me, in 2020. And it all it all got postponed. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, the people we worked with were really, really great. Uh, but it was disheartening. And then I found myself in a position where I wasn't digitally present as other comedians. Other comedians had like thousands of followers. I was on mm-hmm. a couple of hundred. And it became my only tool to let people know that I was still active, that I was still doing stand-up comedy. So I had to get myself headphones and a mic and I had to learn how to use Zoom. I had to learn how to, um, I guess, edit videos. TikTok came along. I had to learn how to use that. I had to learn all the bells and whistles with that. And are um, too old I for had- TikTok. TikTok scares me. TikTok, it, it, when it's your, yeah, I guess... I felt that as a comic, a lot of comedians were flocking to TikTok yeah. and were creating a following there. So if you're doing comedy, unfortunately, it's not a tool you can ignore. But if you're not, 
and it scares you, you can leave well alone. So I had to sink my teeth into it. And um, I needed, I could no longer go by and say, I'm not digitally adaptive to all the social media and everything that's happening at the moment I had to just take ownership of that and mm. educate myself go to friends learn learn more about it um I met uh, there was a moment in in the summer where I met Ben and Kigo and it was a socially distanced gig in the workman's and it was the first time we all met and they were all getting the train home together and we all like I met Ben maybe twice in Edinburgh and he had moved over to Ireland Kigo it was the first time we both met him and we we're having an an absolute riot on the train, having a laugh. And everybody was making podcasts. And we we're like, why don't we make a podcast? Yeah, yeah, why don't we? Why don't we? But um, we sat around and we said, why would our podcast be different to, um, I guess, another comedian who doesn't have the same audience mm-hmm. as Joanne McNally? So yeah. why should they listen to us over them other than our individual voices? And we decided, mm-hmm. so um, this is so funny. So before the gig, um, my maid said, are you nervous? It's your first one back. And I said, ah, sure. I'll just flash my party tip, which is my left tip, if it goes south. At least I have that in my in my back pocket. And they go, excuse me? So we laughed at party tip and we go, why, why don't we throw a party? And I've been throwing Facebook live parties with Ben and Kigo. We're on episode 28. We've had four seasons. Thousands of people watch us. Wow. It was in... The Hot Press magazine, it was in Totally Dublin, it was in Image magazine, it was in Limerick FM, uh, Limerick 95 Radio. And that was something that I don't think would have happened had had COVID not happened. So it was, it was adapting, it was trying to get more of a digital presence. Um, and then like reaching out and doing more podcasts, make, creating my own website, uh, applying for virtual gigs. Um, but yeah, I... I never like, and then I also did the Virgin Media podcast, Hooked On podcast, and that was incredible. Um, but it's just been nonstop. It's been phenomenal, but it's all part of like, you know, the opportunities that your friends give you uh, and your friends supporting you. And mm. I, I like, I've such a great circle, like, as like, you're in my circle and here you are promoting me on this show you know what I mean like I'm spoiled well, this is mutual <laughs> promotion but yeah it's sure. all about and it's well I mean you know me I'm I'm a bit of an L proponent of the women supporting women kind of idea it's kind of my thing yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's been um it's been a whirlwind but it's like um it's been great then I started doing a campaign with the comedy crowd where we're covering the euros and I'm like person telling them about the um the challenges and oh you have a couple of days left now and like they were they've been amazing I'm the only girl on the team and they have never drawn attention to that so we Ooh. have we have video calls weekly I'm the only woman there and they never go sure they they, they don't even say it they, we just work out as a team they're all incredibly professional and it's just been I guess I've I've continued to stay busy over the pandemic. Mm. A lot of comics have taken a break and they're mm. looking forward to coming back. I'm itching to come back as well. Um, and, but and yeah. What's next? Post pandemic. I mean, when, that's when is the Wing first Woman thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing. Uh, Wing Woman, unfortunately, has been postponed again to 2022. And, um, but like, again, the promoters are amazing. They said, you still have your spot. And that's great. That's um so that's, you know, we don't have to 
uh, have as much stress applying again because we've lo- we've been locked in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a show in the Manor in Kildare on the 13th of August with a bunch of headliners. Uh, you know, real live comedy uh, in the flesh, live, and wow. that it's outdoors, so it's that's very exciting. Um, and then, yeah, gosh, what is it like? It's I'd love to do competitions when things reopen again. I'd love to, um, I guess, continue working on the podcast with Ben and Kigo. I think we're going to move that to monthly, maybe write a, a solo show. It's, yeah, it's all go. It's just keeping an eye out for opportunities and um, also writing. Like, fuck, yeah, I have to write something at the home stage. <laughs> um, my... my a lot of my jokes are probably out of date but thankfully like as I said earlier like you learn to swim from swimming thankfully because I've been doing the show weekly on Thursdays with Ben and Kigo the party tits podcast I am comfortable being uh, in a zoom god Carol like you feel great when you're doing a live gig and you have the audience on your side and they're laughing and you go great this is something I've been working really hard on for you guys to enjoy and you enjoy it amazing and there's nothing worse when there's silence at a gig and you're like, bollocks. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. number one, you're your own marketing. So if the room is silent, some people in the audience are like, she's shite. And fair yeah. enough. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But when you do a Zoom gig, the promoter puts the audience on mute so that the laughs don't interrupt your mic. And Jesus, I've died a small death a couple of times over the... It's rough, Carol. It no. is so rough. I struggle with teaching online. Like I'm literally, I'm there with like big, heavy philosophical concepts and critical theory that normally in a lecture hall, I can look around and see if they're still awake and I can work out who's with me and who actually needs me to go back and go through something or whatever. Whereas online, you might get a, yeah, it's fine. And I'm going, you haven't a clue what I'm talking about, but I can't (laughs) tell. So I don't know exactly what part you don't have a clue about. So yeah, like the whole online teaching thing, I can imagine it's similar to a gig. It's horrific. It's horrendous. Let it all end. Let it die in a fire, please. Let it die in a fire. Like, it's been great. That Like, I got to do the Leicester Comedy Festival um, over a Zoom gig. And, you know, usually that would have been me flying over to the UK, getting to the gig, staying in Airbnb, flying home, work the next morning. Mm-hmm. Or I did a gig in India. I did a gig. Where else did I do? Somewhere else in the UK or America. And it was like uh, 12 o'clock in the day. But I wouldn't have had that opportunity yeah. had they all didn't start adapting the um, the uh, digital gigs. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's opened and um, it's it's a mixture. Yeah. I mean, there there are wonderful opportunities afforded by the sure. Even I've been able to attend conferences all over the place. I can go, go to workshops and webinars in different countries. Different. I can go from one to the other from the comfort of you know my kitchen. But but I, I love an L face to face. And like, I oh. can't wait till I like actually see you again and stuff because I haven't seen you in forever. I know. I like, I miss people and I miss, miss people. <laughs> I miss people. But I guess I, I loved that I could continue to put up videos and was able to grow some of the following over the pandemic because, and like, I hope in some way that I was able to be a bit of comfort to people who are like, like having a shit time because, mm. you know, when you're doing comedy, the purpose is to laugh. And then when nobody's around, you're like, well, who do I make laugh? Mm. So I was hoping that the videos I put up, if someone's having a shit day, they might have come across and going, <clears throat> that's gas. 
And then, you know, my job's done and that's that's why I do it. I also do it to get paid, but sure, I also do it for that reason. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? You're um, an accountant at the end of the day. You, you, you want to be paid. Oh, stop. That's like a special power in reverse. So I remember I was looking to get paid for a gig and I was just like, I haven't got paid yet. And they said, well, we paid you. And I said, do you, do you mind sending me on the proof of payment there? And I was able to tell them what they got wrong and fix it and get paid that day. And they're like, how the fuck do you know this? So I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I talked to my accountant. Anyways. Uh... <laughs> talked to my accountant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just plain stupid just like oh, i don't know i've talked to my account they pointed out to me anyways uh <laughs> sure listen it's grand well look, look grand. i mean me and you we could stay on this chatting all night and i'm sure you've loads more wonderful stories but it's been an absolute delight i will tag your insta um on the instagram post for the episode Thank but if you. people are looking to find you and watch your content and stuff like that shameless blog time where do they find you oh yeah um so i'm gonna be at the gig in the manor which is a new festival um in kildare on the 13th of august so tickets are online at at the matter.ie and that's gonna be an amazing show loads of headliners um like enya martin fred cook emma doran they're all gonna be there and yeah you can find me on insta you can find me on twitter you can also find me on TikTok. I'm gonna I'm gonna send across all the links to you as well. And um, then yeah, Wing Woman is gonna be um, happening next year. Also uh, on Facebook is PT Pod because we can't say party tits, so <laughs> we say PT Pod. Uh, so on the Facebook personal trainer that's... podcast. The personal trainer, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The PT, like that's short for party. You know, we're trying to be all hip about it. Oh. Um, yeah, our marketing department for the party tits is just like, why do, why are we called the party tits? Have we shot ourselves in the foot here? Um, yeah, you can find us there on Thursdays at eight o'clock, and then I have a gig coming up with the Crack Shop on the twenty third of July, which I'm headlining. This is exciting. Well, there's loads of places to find you. You were going lots and lots and lots of places. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on just because you're a legend, but also because you're really cool. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And of course, like, I obviously love the bones of you as well. And you're, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> Supporting women.